Welcome to Empower, the MPW London alumni podcast series. I'm your host, Ellen, and in each episode, I'll be having a conversation with one of our alumni about the fantastic things they've gone on to achieve after walking out of the 91 Queensgate door for the very last time. In this episode, I'm joined by Halman Sardry, an English literature lecturer and researcher at the University of Gothenburg. We talk about Halman's rock and roll path to his current role, get some insight into what it's like to study English literature, and get some tips on how to adapt to the step up from studying at A-level to degree level. Halman has some really useful and insightful advice to offer, so I hope that you enjoy listening. Welcome, Howen, to the MPW Empower podcast. It's so nice to have you here with us today. Thank you. Thanks. It's nice to be here. So we're going to be talking all things English literature. We've had a couple of contributors to the um, questions today. One of oh, wow. Okay. Being one of our lovely A-level English literature students, Sophie. And the other one, of course, we couldn't do anything English literature and MPW-based without Richard Martin, the legend of MPW, being involved. Absolutely. Well, he's sort of, he's part of the reason I'm here. So yes, absolutely. So you studied English literature at MPW. Did you do any other subjects as well? I did. I did actually all three of my A-levels at MPW. I did uh, English Lit, French Lit and Class, well, Classive, but it was Classics. Yeah. Yeah. I did all three of them. Uh, Basically, the school I was at, I, uh, long story, long painful story but I hated it um, there were disagreements at home about subjects and uh, I ended up at MPW to do uh, three essentially three new A-level subjects the ones that I wanted to do uh, in a year uh, and it worked out it worked out well and were you kind of driven towards a goal with those A-levels um, or were you still kind of trying to work things out at that time well I think I mean it's hard to put oneself back back that far in time Uh, and you know anyone's teenage years are always a bit of a muddle uh, I think even the most driven of us Um, my goal was essentially that I wanted to get my uh, my A-levels finished and I wanted to go to university and I wanted to study English because English literature was my subject Uh, I didn't really think it, it was this monomaniacal way of thinking. I didn't really, really think much deeper than that, to to, to my shame. But I think, I I also think that when you're 17, 18, maybe you ought not be thinking deeper than that. You you need to, you know, studying uh, academic work cannot be a chore when you get to that age. It needs to be something that speaks to you. It needs to be something that drives you and that you enjoy. And for me, it was always literature that you had a passion for, you're willing to do the work for. Yes, I was willing to do the work for. Um, I think that there was probably an element of, it was a subject I was good at, uh, therefore. Yes. (laughs) You know, the the path of least resistance, um, which led to to quite an interesting, uh, quite an interesting uh, start to my classes. Because uh, because what happened? I had Richard Martin. Richard Martin was my English teacher, um, and uh, we were doing. Oh, I, my goodness, I think the first text we did was probably *The Winter's Tale*, 
I know we did the Winter's Tale in Coriolanus and uh, Men and Women. Um, we did the Winter's Tale and I wrote uh, for him uh, an essay, which was the kind of essay that would have got me an A at my old school and he failed me. <laughs> and and I affronted, <laughs> affronted because I'd never failed at anything at English before. I sort of said to him, but I don't really understand. He goes, well, I think you could do better with this sort of, uh, with this sort of puckish smile. Uh, and uh, so I rewrote it and I think I got a D or a C, Barris <laughs> Pass. So by the end of my time with Richard, uh, I was writing the kind of essays that would get someone a first at university. And then I was passing. Uh, and I think it's just it's just a question of, well, actually, I think you can do better than this. And here's how I'm going to make, motivate you to do it. Not you're a bit you're a bit crap at this, but you can do better, mm -hmm. which is where I think a lot of teachers had failed in the past in my eyes. Where it's that, that sort of draconian. Nope, do it again, which Richard was not. But invaluable to learn that before going to university, because there is a huge jump between your A-levels and studying English literature at university. To have learned yes. the skills and techniques and to be challenged at that point wouldn't have phased you, I assume, when you then did make that progression. I don't I, think, I, I honestly don't think that uh, the, and this is not to say that I have had, I had exclusively bad teachers in my time, because I haven't, but I don't think any, uh, you know, and, and I don't think any of the English teachers that I had ever had before had prepared me for university in the way Richard did. I, I think I went in, because I, I went uh, from MPW, I went to KCL. I, I, got, I have my BA from KCL uh, and I went in there forearmed, I think. So as a lecturer now, do you have any advice for students who are about to go to university about what to expect? It's difficult. I think I don't know what A-level study is like anymore, because as I, I, as I said, I did my A-levels in 89-90. But I, I, as I, I'm sure that they are still quite guided. You know, you're, you're still, your, your teachers are still basically acting and showing you the way. Um, and university's not really like that. Sure, you have a tutor, but they don't have the hours to, to spend a huge amount of time with you. They're going to expect you to hit the ground running. So the advice I always give students, first year students, is learn how to study, which sounds like a, a, a complete nonsense, but it's not because every single person studies in a different way. Everyone studies differently. Everyone learns in a different way. And there is no correct way that anyone can pres prescribe for you. It, it's absolutely an individual thing. Um, I remember, you know, when I, when I was at, uh, when I, when I was at MPW, I took, I literally took copious notes from Richard's classes. I yeah. just, I still have them. I have my copy of, of Men and Women 1855 that I essentially, uh, that in tiny handwriting has got, you know, I, but after that, when I went to university, I, I tried doing that and I realized that didn't work for mm -hmm. me in the context of a lecture or a seminar. Uh, and so I would always have paper and I would maybe make little bullet point notes and then I would never consult them again uh, because the, the act of making the bullet po points meant that I remembered. Yes. There are other people who will make notes and will come back and, 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 and look at them. But in the end, notes, for instance, are a mnemonic. It's, it's how it works for you. 
I tutored uh, back when I first started on the master's program. I was I was acting as a mentor to younger students, and uh, I tutored this one student who had such um, such profound uh, ADHD that they could not um, they could not write notes or concentrate for too long to write notes. Uh, but this person was was uh, a, an artist and wanted to design computer games and comics and realized along the way that actually if they drew little cartoon bunnies doing things like running a race or <laughs> flying in an airplane or just just these really cute bunnies that they could then go back and look at the bunny and recall exactly what the teacher was saying while that bunny doodle was being drawn Wow! because that's how their brain yeah. worked so so what i would say to students is through trial and error work out how your brain works and what works best for you you know if if you do not work sitting in front of a screen or in front of a book and just cramming for six hours don't do it because it's not going to work find the way that works every single student is is an individual absolutely and university the jump between school and university is is a, is, is both subtle and profound. It's subtle and profound at the same time. I'd say one thing as well for English literature students, be prepared for a bigger volume of reading. Oh God, yeah. Because at A-level, you know, you have a few texts that you go over and you work over them for you know, a few weeks at a time. But when you go up to university, it can be a book a week per oh, course. Absolutely. So, oh, absolutely. That's what it was like for me at King's. We had four sub-courses per term and, and a text to read every week for it. So it was essentially four books a week. It's a lot, but you can get ahead on that and you cannot get overwhelmed. Mm. Yeah, something to, to bear in develop, mind. Develop a reading strategy. As how do you, how, how, I mean, this goes back to, to studying, but how do you best read? How do you read in a fast and efficient and yet detailed way? So any students who are unsure about their career path, that they're wanting to take in the future. To what extent would you say having an English literature degree allows a range of options? Or would you say that it perhaps has the converse effect and is quite limiting? Well, I think that if you want to be a, neuro, a neurosurgeon, it's probably quite limiting. <laughs> but I think that if, if you are planning on working in, in a more humanities-based milieu, then there's no limit to it at all. Um, there are people working in everything from sort of banking all the way to teaching and all points in between who have English degrees. Because in the end, it, it's not just an English degree or, or any kind of literary or language, obviously language is tied up in it, but any kind of literary degree is still going to teach you a certain discipline. The, uh, and any job that you get is detail oriented. And, and learning a literary subject, I mean, this is just the nuts and bolts of it. There are other reasons, there are other huge reasons to, you know, beyond career path to, mm. to read a literary subject. But I, I, think that, I think that any university degree is basically um, discipline 101. It teaches you how to, how to order yourself. Order as in put things into order, not order as in do this now. How would you say that that is a degree alone stands out in comparison to a degree that's more tailored say people were thinking the skills they can take from English literature degree but they want to do something in media mm. would they be best off doing a media degree or do you think English literature still offers that breadth I don't know I don't know what a media degree would entail 
because I've never done one. What I do know is that on my, in the first lecture uh, at King, my first lecture at King's, I found my sat, myself sat next to a young, uh, a young woman who I got talking to, who I'm still friends with to this day, 30 something years later, who did an English degree. Uh, her name's Anita Anand. She is, uh, she is quite a well-respected journalist for the BBC and an author of several historical books. Uh, about about the Raj in India. Um, she didn't do a media degree. She did an English degree. I I think it depends what you would like to do in the media. I mean, I'm not saying, you know, if you want to be a scriptwriter, it's useful to do English, but it's also maybe useful to do a course in in how in scriptwriting. If you want to be a, a producer on a TV show, then I'm sure that there are technical courses that you can learn to do that. Uh, I, I guess, I guess, in a way, I'm the wrong, I'm the wrong person to answer because I'll always advocate for literary subjects. Yeah. I think that, I, I, that it, it's. Uh, on the other hand, I also teach uh, at the Department of Cultural Sciences uh, here at the University of Gothenburg. I, I teach in both languages and literature and cultural sciences, and I actually find that they go hand in hand. Uh, a lot of the the things that I teach, because I, I teach a. a course in cultural entrepreneurship and I teach a course in, in um, I'm translating it because the, the, the titles are in Swedish and uh, participatory culture uh, as well as other things like like uh, film the feminist film theory and things like, and things like that uh, a lot of the the, the the texts that we look at are different but the subject matter is the same it is all about interpretation and about working out uh, how do you do it? It's, it's almost like a, a cultural mathematics where you work out where these things teach you about things as cultural artifacts and about participating within the culture and literature does that too. Whereas at school the texts are very much prescribed, is there mm. more of an opportunity when you get to the university level to pursue your own literary interest? Um, eventually. Uh, I, I mean, again, here I'm talking as a teacher at a Swedish university. So, so the courses that we teach, the courses that I teach on the on what we call the the, the A level, which is the first semester, uh, no, they're completely prescribed, and we're teaching people. But but again, here in Sweden, we're teaching people stuff that uh, an A level student in England would already have learned as part of their their GCSE and A level, as far as the history of of English of literatures in English goes. Um, at an English university. Uh, you will get the basics, but eventually you will start to branch out. I mean, I know again, go, going back a long way, but but um, I started out obviously doing everything, but then you start to choose your own sub courses. And, you know, yeah. so there's me doing Shakespeare one day and the next day, 20th century African-American literature, because these were things which interested me. Yeah. Um, here in Sweden, that, that comes a little later on, you start to specialize when you're writing a bachelor thesis or, or, or a master's thesis, you can you can choose your own texts. But yeah, uh, you, you know, there's no point. You have to start with the basics, but there's no point uh, putting forward putting forward an entire bachelor's program where nobody gets to choose. Yeah, nobody gets to move towards what they most enjoy. I mean, I can't imagine completing an English degree with certain with certain authors from the canon being forced upon me uh, because there are certain authors from the canon 
where orthodoxy says I must love them, but in real life, I, I would rather just avoid. I'll teach them if you force me. But. <laughs> and also, as we were saying, in your first year, you're really learning the skills about how to learn and how to adapt to that new environment. Mm -hmm. So. Oh, yeah. It's always more helpful to kind of have a bit of guidance into what to study while you're finding your feet. And then you do obviously get more of an opportunity later down the line. Of course, my students have it even worse because they're doing it in their second language, at least, <laughs> possibly third. So you went to KCL. What was your pathway then? from there to where you are now. <laughs> it, was, it was very long and uh, it was very long and quite convoluted because um, while I always I've always considered myself an academic, when I was at King's, I, I started to develop an interest in, um, in psychology. A lot of it was to do with, with something which I don't really look at much these days, but I was interested in the, the psych, psychoanalytical literary theories. So, and, and having read Jung and Freud and Lacan and all this, I started to get quite interested in it. I was interested in maybe trying to do a master's in psychology, only to be told, no, you can't, sorry. Because the, 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 I don't know if it's the same way. It's been a very long time. We're talking about the, the late 80s, early 90s at this point. Um, I was told that because I didn't have an A-level in two sciences. The only science I have at A-level is biology. I needed either physics or chemistry. Then I just wouldn't get funding, even if I was accepted to do a master's, uh, a, 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 a course of master's study. Um, and so in a fit of peak, I was still in my early 20s, and I was in a band uh, on the side. And in a fit of peak, I went, well, essentially sod this. I'm off to be a rock star instead, <laughs> uh, which worked out about as well as one can imagine. Uh, I, I'm not complaining. I mean, I, I went from that to working at at the late, uh, late and lamented Tower Records, uh, where I was a manager for a while. Uh, then on to other places, and I, you know, where I met uh, at Whole Foods, as it is now, but fresh and wild as it was. And I met my wife. We got married, uh, moved to Spain, where I taught English as a TEFL teacher, and then we ended up here, which is uh, she almost 16, yeah, 15 years ago now. It was just over 15 years ago now. She's from Gothenburg. Uh, and we moved here and um, just, you know, when you move to another country and you try to keep carry on the same career path that you were on and discover that actually it's a little bit different here. Mm -hmm. Okay, you learn to speak the language, but it's not quite the same. Um, I thought, well, why don't I try to get some kind of teacher qualification? So when I looked into the University of Gothenburg, uh, I realized that actually the only subject that I really could see myself doing was going back to English. So I went back and did my master's and from there got accepted into the PhD program, which in Sweden, again, is a bit different. They hire you. It's an actual job. Um, and I, and uh, from there, I just did my PhD. I finished it, uh, goodness, it was six months ago now close to. I don't know how the time went by so quickly, but yeah. Um, I'm still there now at the University of Gothenburg uh, as uh, now working as a teacher and researcher. I'm going to be looking for tenure elsewhere soon because, you know, my, my contract is still limited. 
because I was I was hired originally as a doctoral student, although I'm teaching 100% at the moment. So it was it was quite long and convoluted. I came back, and I think that that's quite a salutary lesson to learn. I came back. I got my 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 bachelor's degree when I was 22, but I came back when I was 40, and I and I got my and I got my PhD at 49. You know, so so it's never you know it's never too late to be a, a, a in inverted commas young academic. I think it's quite interesting. A lot of the alumni that I've spoken to, their path hasn't been necessarily the most straightforward not everyone falls straight into what it is that they're they think they're supposed to be doing straight away and the importance of how you've got to try different things to find out sometimes what you don't want to be doing and then see what you do want to end up doing it doesn't necessarily mean at the point of starting your degree or doing your a-level you have to decide then and there exactly what you need to be doing absolutely uh, i mean one one um one never knows what's going to happen i think i think it's fine to make plans it's fine to make contingencies mm. but you know you have to go in with the knowledge that there has to be room for things to change people change life in and of itself is motion and transition it's never standing still so i i i've found my path quite not late in life, but I found my path in middle age, and that's fine because I still have, hopefully, a good few years left to enjoy doing this. That's not to say I regret any of the things I did before. It's it's been, it's been fun, and I think I'm possibly a better academic for going off and having adventures first. Yeah. So, what would you say? personal and professional skills are that it takes to do your role? To do my role? Mm. I think, well, I have two roles. One is a researcher and that I think we've covered. But as far as teaching goes, um, there are too many teachers and I'm not talking necessarily about anyone that I know or that I work with, uh, you know, but teachers that I have known in the past, both uh, in my, at, at the school I was at before in PW and uh, at university who are gatekeepers uh, and they don't mean to be it's just that this is what i have studied this is what i know this is the orthodoxy this is how it must work uh, and the students and, and and they want to do their research they want to do their work and the students uh, can they're not a nuisance but they are they are uh, a, a job to be finished um, for me as a teacher, the, the students are primary. That's why I do it. I like being a teacher. I like being able to inspire or to let people see in a way that they haven't seen before. Um, and I think, to, I think that if I have one skill as a teacher, it's that. I, I, and that skill, I mean, going back to, to how we started, that skill is something I learned from Richard Martin. I always said when I when I when if I ever taught that I would teach like him. And while I don't think I do teach exactly like him, there is a way that um, there is a way that he illuminated texts and let people see things within them that they possibly would not have seen, and, and with a, with a sense of natural awe coming yeah. from him, that I I think I don't think I could teach if I didn't have that. I think I think that that's that's the main the main reason to do the job would be to inspire other people the way that my best teacher or teachers inspired me.
there are teachers and there are there are people there are people i know there are wonderful people i know who i mean they teach and they they they, they enjoy imparting information but they didn't they didn't get into this to be a teacher and that is that's entirely uh, appropriate as well because you don't just become an academic to be a teacher yeah. i don't know if i ever would like to to become a full professor because a full professor has so much research time and far less teaching i'd rather perhaps i'd rather just be a lecturer forever and 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 write my articles if and when the the moment strikes me of course there's always that bit more pressure to when you when you have tenure there is a pressure to publish all the time but have you ever considered dabbling in your own writing or publishing anything of your own work or have you already uh <laughs> I am told by people by, by people close to me, especially my wife, that I ought to. I don't know if necessarily creative writing is is my bag anymore. I do intend to to write books at least, mm -hmm. or they probably won't be non-academic texts. Although uh, a friend of mine who is an academic has been pushing me to try to contribute to. I'm not going to say what, but it's a series, a series of a series of books that a, that a publisher puts out that are sort of semi-academic, but not really. Uh, and she's always telling me that this is something that I should do, and and, and I'm I'm considering it. But, uh, at the moment, my dance club, my dance card's quite full this term, so. Yeah. It doesn't sound like you're convinced. Well, I, one day, I, I I I mean, I at the moment my bookshelf with my own personal publications uh have an academic my, an academic text which is my uh, my uh, essentially my thesis which the university here that the, the university puts out and publishes and gets to be in the library and i've also edited an academic text uh, for rutledge so it's quite nice to see your name on a spine but uh, <laughs> Um, if you could do any other job in the world, what would you do? Hmm. I think I did it. I mean, I've been in a band. I've been the, the uh, a very long time ago, I was the front man in a band, and uh, that was fun. And um, I worked at Tower Records, as I said, and I, I started working there just to just to work behind the, the till of the jazz department for a bit to to finish a demo that I was trying to get together. Liked it and stayed and stayed for stayed for five or six. I think I stayed from that time until Virgin took over, which I didn't really want to work for Virgin. Um, mm. That was great. I loved Tower and uh, and um, it, a lot of good people who have stayed with me. So, it, you know, I think I've already done the other jobs. I don't think there's anything that I would rather do now than than uh, than work with this. That's a great uh, answer. That's wonderful to hear. <laughs> and the final question hmm. is: What advice would you give to your student self? My student self was quite difficult for different from me now. I think I would tell my student self to not be so arrogant because I think I was. Uh, I, I think that I think that I was arrogant, and I think that I was quite cross a lot of the time. Uh, and uh, I think my advice to which 
I think it's good advice for everybody is temper it. Don't lose yeah. your fire. Have fire, but don't be arrogant. Yeah. And I think the other advice would would be, and it's the, this is the only uh, only advice that can really be given by someone with a time machine, and that's that it'll work out. You know, the 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 path of your the the path that you're on. I, Okay, I say this because most of my research, my doctoral research, and everything that I've written about this thus far has been about um, the monomyth, Joseph Campbell's hero's journey. Um, the path of your life runs correctly. Just make sure you follow it. And if you trip, that's fine. Because the only we, we, when we fail at something, that's good. It's a positive because it means you'll do better next time. It's what I say to, to any students before they go into a, a sit-down exam, an exam hall exam, which I, I think is a, a particular form of torture, really. Um, I say to them, well, what's the, worst can, what's the worst that can happen? And they always say, oh, well, we fail. I go, no, no, the worst that can happen is you die. You walk in there, a satellite falls from the heavens and, and lands on you, you spontaneously combust, one of those things. In the knowledge that that's not going to happen, everything yeah. else is fine. Because if you fail, you'll have a chance to sit it again, and you'll have a chance to sit it again a little bit with a little bit better um, knowledge yeah. of why you're doing this and what and how you can get it right. It's brilliant to get uh, to to knock it out of the park on your first uh, first time at bat, but if you don't, I think very often students are not conditioned to understand that if you don't, that's fine. It will get better. You mm. will get better. You have another chance. Um, I think that the amount of pressure that students are under, especially at GCSE, A-level, undergraduate level, I mean, it's the way things are set up and it's something that we all go through, but it's unconscionable, really. Mm. And every single one of them has my absolute awe and admiration when they, when, that they do, that they put up with it. Yeah, I mean, it's something that sticks and no matter how long ago it was, everyone can remember that, you know, fear of doing your exams and going through those years. It sticks with you. But there is another side to that. You do get out the other side and, you know, no matter what happens, everything will work out in the end. But I think that for those of us who did get out the other side, it is beholden upon us to be the ones reaching a hand out yeah. to the people on that side and saying, OK, let me help you. Yeah. Let me show you. Let me show you the the safe way across this minefield. Mm. Well, I'd say most people don't come out unscathed. There's always something along the way that's going to, you know. <laughs> None of us getting out of life alive. So. <laughs> well, it was such such a pleasure to talk to you today, Helen. Thank you so much for taking the time, offering your insights. It's been really useful. Oh, no, it's wonderful, wonderful. Thanks very much for giving me the opportunity to. I, I, and I hope, um, I hope that in some way this is helpful to, uh, to, to any students listening to it. Uh, I, I hope. That's my wish, anyway. I hope so. I'm sure it will be. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you for listening to Howard's episode of Empower. Some useful advice to hear, especially if you're considering studying English literature at university and you're curious to know what to expect. Thank you to Sophie, our wonderful English literature A-level student, and Richard Martin for their questions. 
As always, if you are interested in taking part in the podcast series or in contributing to the magazine, please send an email through to alumni at mpw.ac.uk. We would love to hear from you and share and support your achievements and to pay any price that you have to give. Until next time, goodbye.